Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Incoming transmission. Politics. Not good at politics. Surely there are others who are better suited. Trek Politics with Mary L. Trump and Bob Seska. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of Trek Politics with me, Mary Trump, and my co-host, Bob Seska. Hey, Bob. Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, Today, we have such an amazing guest. I I know you guys are going to get sick of us saying that because it's true every week. (laughs) We have with us Todd Stashwick, a.k.a. Captain Liam Shaw, on season three of Picard, and Bob, what what a cool guy and what a great conversation. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for everyone to hear this one because it's so insightful, so much fun. Yeah. We just had a, a, a fun time recording uh, our interview with uh, Todd Stashwick and not just because of his nerd lair behind him. He is just, he's so funny and interesting and he's got uh, such a varied background from uh, Second City and yep. improv to uh, sitcoms, things like that, and to heavily dramatic roles, uh, sci-fi, and everything in between, and uh, just so entertaining. I just want to sit and listen to him as he holds court. I just want to go to his house and and eavesdrop on all of his conversations. Yeah, or or play a little D and D. Yeah, well. that's that too. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, you guys are gonna love it, and I just also I love the way he talked about his uh, character and in the context of Star Trek and uh, how the character and our perceptions of the character evolve, as well as his uh, just deep love of his craft. Uh, it was incredible. So we're going to yeah. get to that, but first, uh, Bob, we wanted to talk about the second episode in Strange New World season two. Uh, yeah. Ad Astra Per Aspera. My my apologies for my poor Latin pronunciation. Um, <laughs> but I, I just want to get your initial thoughts on the episode and uh, just sort of broaden the conversation because as we've talked about before, uh, there are lots of trials uh, in the various incarnations of Star Trek, starting yeah. with the Menagerie uh, in the original series. Uh, so... This one, what what stands out about this one is, first of all, it's an actual trial. A lot of the others um, are are not, turn out not to be. Um, yeah. But it also grapples with issues similar to a Next Generation episode that I know you wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, this was one of my all-time favorite Strange New Worlds episodes. And I think I'm not alone on that. This uh, checked off every box as far as what makes for great Star Trek. And the great irony about that, Mary, is the fact that uh, most of the cast did nothing but watch TV That's in right. this episode, yeah. which it was still compelling. It was yep. still fascinating 
to watch this episode. And uh, obviously, the entire main cast at one point or another testified in this trial. Um, but it was the performances, the West Wing style emotional uh, ending of the episode. It really hit that uh, that last couple of ten. That last ten minutes was really something special. Uh, and then there was suspense to it. Uh, I mean, we really didn't know whether number one would disappear after right. this episode and no longer be a cast member. I mean, they killed Hammer last season. So maybe mm -hmm. and, and because uh, Una wasn't in action uh, other than in the cage in the original series, yep. it could have been entirely possible that she would be written off the show or only appear in certain episodes as a special guest or something like that. And by the way, I do still miss Hemmer. I just wanted to say, yeah, <laughs> I was sad when Hemmer went away. Great character. Uh, that was yeah. a bold move to knock him off. Uh, yeah. And in a very moving way. Um, right. But he, he established some deep and pivotal relationships, especially with Uhura, uh, that, I think were um, crucial to her mm -hmm. yeah. future choices. So um, that shocked me that they, that they did that. And it also the fact that they killed Hammer kind of puts you off balance a little bit, which makes for yeah. more drama in the show, knowing that any of the characters that we don't see in the original series and beyond could end up going at any second. We yeah. don't know what happens to Lon or, uh, Erica Ortegas. We don't know what becomes of them after their service on the Enterprise under Captain Pike. So it could be that, you know, any number of them could end up getting the axe at some point. I hope not, but that, I mean, again, it makes for excellent dramatic tension. Well, I think that's one of, one of the things about having such a deep bench. It's like the, they're, the red shirts now uh, are pivotal, important parts of the the crew potentially yeah. or, or the potential red shirts i should say you know mm -hmm. they're not just uh bit players who don't you know say a line and then disappear in the middle of an episode uh because they yeah. got killed by something mm -hmm. um so i think that does put us on our guard the other yeah. thing and you know sort of destabilizes us a little bit the other thing that destabilizes us uh is the where we started this episode and remember <laughs> i think the beginning of this episode was the last episode of season one mm -hmm. right yeah. that's that's the storyline that that brought us here so we'll i want to get to that later on but i i did also want to point out that one of the great things about uh, Star Trek, and I think that's become more and more the case, is the room it it gives guest actors yeah. to be brilliant. Um, mm -hmm. As you mentioned, the main cast, with the exception of Undish and Riley, was essentially on the sidelines. They testified a little bit. You know, they did have some parts to play, but the center stage was taken by the character Nir Katul, who represents Chin Riley in her trial. They have history. The actor playing her, forgive me in advance if I'm mispronouncing it, is Yatai Badaki. Oh my God, Bob. She like knocked it out of the park yeah. from beginning to end. 
Yeah, I want her to be my lawyer. I think we all walked away going, eh, I wish she was real. I, that would be great. Well, I have really good lawyers, and she she could give them a run for her money. <laughs> right, right. Right. And uh, the fact that she was a civil rights attorney and that the Federation still needs civil rights attorneys. That was, I think, a big revelation in all of this. We haven't quite reached that point in the United Federation of Planets where civil rights are taken for granted or guaranteed for everyone. And that was the kind of the centerpiece of this whole story that, again, as I said last week when we were talking about false flags, what a great time to be doing a podcast called Trek Politics right. uh, with this episode. Oh, my God. An allegory based on all forms of institutional discrimination and racism. But primarily, I think it's obvious that it's more about the LGBTQ, uh, specifically the trans community. Uh, in fact, you know what? It just happened today where I think Rick Scott announced, uh, Senator Rick Scott from Florida, announced that socialists aren't welcome in Florida, in the state of Florida. I just, I wanted to throw that in because that is kind of in the wheelhouse of what we're talking about here, ostracizing certain people because of their ideology or whatever. I, I just want to go back to something you said about the need for civil rights attorneys in the Federation. It reminds me of the reaction I had in season one of Discovery to the um, existence of Section 31. It's like, what is that all about? You know, what is going on mm-hmm. in, in, in the Federation that makes, that leads to the necessity for yeah. that kind of dark, undercover, kind of sketchy mm-hmm. organization. Um, so, same thing with the civil rights stuff. I, I, yeah. I guess it's 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 a way of addressing this idea that we're always evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're the problems are never completely solved. We're we're never a perfect union. We're always striving to be a more perfect one. Yeah. Um, and I wonder uh, how that how that um, plays out for you. Like, how does that land for you mm-hmm. knowing that even, even in Star Trek, strange new worlds, uh, we still seem to have a ways to go. Yeah, we do. And I think it goes back to uh, something we've discussed, which is uh, Gene Roddenberry's mandate for the first two seasons of next generation. And this conflict between uh, utopian civilization and the need to have dramatic storytelling. Yeah. There's like a mechanical thing that you require to have compelling stories, to have to produce compelling television. And that is conflict, maybe the dark side of things injected into a storyline. Something we talked about with Todd Stashwick, which you'll hear in a second, which is about uh, uh, taking characters who have supreme confidence and cutting them down to size has a real dramatic effect. And we get into that about uh, Liam Shaw when we talk to to Todd. And so all these things contribute to compelling storytelling. And so you kind of have to, I guess, pull away from the utopian ideal enough to allow drama to work its way into the proceedings. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 
you know, what's perfectly emblematic of that, although maybe not intentionally, <laughs> is the um, meeting between Spock and the Vulcan prosecutor. Oh, they're, yeah. They're I love sitting that scene. Yeah. in the bar or wherever they're sitting, <laughs> and they're being observed by, uh, I think it's Dr. Mabega and Erica Ortegas. Yes. And they're literally just sitting there staring at each other. Mm-hmm. And if that's all you see, it's very boring. Yeah. And it looks like there's no action going on. There's no interaction going on. And yet it works because we have the two people observing and making their observations. And it ends up being really funny mm-hmm. and adding to our understanding of who that character is. Who I don't know about you. I hated it. <laughs> the the, the <laughs> yeah, Vulcan yeah, prosecutor. Yeah. Turned out to be an a-hole by the end. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So so I think, yes, if all of our problems are solved or all of our problems are external to us, it doesn't mm-hmm. that doesn't really it yeah. doesn't really work. Um, but there was one uh, and I agree with you. I think the issue issues addressed here are central to w- issues we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. And you reminded me that uh, that happened almost 30 years ago, or maybe more than 30 years ago, in a Next Generation episode called Measure of a Man. Uh, do you want to oh, talk yes. a little bit about that? Because it's a fascinating comparison. Yeah, maybe one of the best episodes from the first two seasons of Next Generation. This was an episode that determined Data's sentience, which is, writ large, it's an issue that I hold near and dear. Because I, I feel as though, and maybe this, I don't know what this says about my liberalism, but I feel as though certain higher species of animal deserves non-human personhood, deserves some I level totally of, of, of sentience yep. and therefore protections. Yep. Uh, uh, certainly the rest of the great ape species, uh, dogs, cats, uh, octopuses, Dolphin, um, octop- dolphins, whales. Whales. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and so... But this spoke to, of course, with data, a a bigger issue, and that is essentially of slavery. It was they were determining whether or not uh, Maddox, Bruce Maddox, could take data away from the Enterprise and disassemble him and study him and do all kinds of testing on him, essentially treating him as a lab rat rather than a sentient Starfleet officer. And it was such a compelling courtroom drama with Riker taking on basically the side of Bruce Maddox and not intentionally. He was just kind of assigned that role to make an argument why Data is not worthy of sentience. Yeah, like Captain Battelle was forced into her defending the indefensible. Exactly. And, And that one scene where Riker removes Data's arm still chokes me up yeah. <laughs> to this day yeah. when I watch that episode, I'm like, Oh my God, there was a, a show on an anime series in the seventies called space battleship Yamato. And it was uh, a, a Japanese anime series that became Americanized, brought over to the United States and re rebranded as star blazers. Oh and my there gosh, was, a, I, re- I remember that actually. Yeah. Wow. I mean, talk about gateway drugs. That was one of my first <laughs> things. It was like, <laughs> Star Wars, Star Trek happening simultaneously, and then along comes Star Blazer. Like, oh my, Saturday, you know, afternoons after school watching that, you yeah, know, yeah. on Channel 20 here in Washington, D.C. Um, 
where one of the main characters in that series, we suddenly learn that he's partly cybernetic and he has his he has artificial arms and legs. And so they remove his arms and legs. And I remember being, you know, eight, nine years old and just being shocked at this. Yeah. This is the first dramatic animated series I had ever seen. And they're removing this character's arms and legs. So he was able to sacrifice himself for the rest of the crew. And watching that happen to Data was so sad to see that. And you felt so much empathy for Riker having to do that to his friend. And ultimately the upshot is they grant Data personhood, sentience, so that he has uh, rights and he has self-determination. And so it turned out well, but it's something that could have turned out horribly awry. But the, the issue that connects to uh, Ad Astra Per Aspera is the fact that we're talking about human rights. Is this yep, person yep. who is different still worthy of the same rights as everyone else? And so as far as the courtroom dramas that we've seen in Star Trek throughout the canon, I think Measure of a Man is as close to this as uh, this particular episode of Strange New Worlds as uh, we've seen so far. I, I agree. And I think from now on, we're going to have to have a, a viewing list for our, for <laughs> yeah. our listeners and viewers uh, so mm -hmm. they can watch certain episodes ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> so they can keep up. Um, That's right. <laughs> uh, before we uh, get to the interview with Todd, I, I did want to get back to how this episode ends and yeah. how it completely defied what we'd been led to expect. Because mm -hmm. in case you guys have forgotten, um, Captain Pike is living on this very specific timeline that ends yeah. a very specific way. And at the end of season one, Unichin Riley was basically gone. Mm -hmm. uh, she was no longer able to contact anybody. She had been tried and sentenced. And now here we are. So Bob, what do you think that portends uh, for what we had thought was an absolutely set in stone future for Captain Pike. Yeah, I guess there's another shoe that's going to drop for <laughs> Una, I, you know, and, and certainly for Captain Pike. Uh, and that's what makes, well, that's one of the things that makes Strange New Worlds so compelling because you kind of have a sense of the end point. You kind of yeah. know that Lieutenant Kirk is gonna become Captain Kirk and he's gonna take command of uh, the Enterprise. And you know that Captain Pike is gonna become fleet captain and something happens to Una, that's a, a gigantic mystery. Something mm -hmm. happens to uh, Ortegas, something happens to Lon. Uh, you know, something happens to Carol Kane's character, whose name is now slipping my mind. But um, yeah. these are all big question marks. And while we, it's sometimes um, not good storytelling to know the ending already, but there are still so many endings that we don't know, so many loose threads that I'm excited to see those eventually uh, tied up. I'm in no hurry because I really love this show and I'm enjoying every episode of this show, but uh, we do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not going to end well for some of these characters. No, I, well, we have at least 10 years as far as I can tell uh, yeah. by my reckoning. One big question is, is it nurse Christine Chapel or Unichin Riley who becomes the voice of the computer? Maybe we'll <laughs> find that out too. <laughs> but one of the things that I found 
really moving about the end besides um, Nira's lovely parting words um, to the crew who supported uh, Una um, was <laughs> when Pike hugs her. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was in that moment. It wasn't just that he was hugging her because he was ecstatically happy for his friend and number one, which of course is true. But I think also because he saw an opening uh, yeah. for a different future for himself. I, you know, and I, I connected it once again, uh, the feeling that I got at the end of this episode to watching an episode of the West Wing where mm -hmm. you get to the end of that and things work out. And this is an idealized version of American politics. And all at once you feel a little like sad because, well, this is not real and I wish it was real. But on the other hand, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief enough to let that good feeling wash over me and to take it for what it's worth. And that was the case with this. I mean, when Mr. Pasak, the Vulcan prosecutor, asked when Pike knew that Una was Illyrian, my hands literally started sweating. I was <laughs> physically nervous for not just Una, but then Pike yeah. at that point. Yep. Because again, it's unwritten how we get to the, the place and time where something happens to Pike. Absolutely. We don't know what happens to Una. So in that regard, it's still suspenseful. And then... Yeah. And then when Nira presented that asylum law, which mm -hmm. was the the linchpin that freed Una, which, oh my God, I got chills at that point. And yeah. then Pike's hug, <laughs> just like, I want, now I want Anson Mount to hug me. Come on. <laughs> Who wouldn't want Anson Mount to hug them? True. Yeah, that's he's, very true. He's yeah. great. He's mm -hmm. so good. Um, they're all so good. And uh as you all can tell, we're we're loving every second of it. Um, so thankfully, <laughs> yeah. unlike other iterations of Star Trek, this one is still going and it's still available. Uh, so let's keep it that way. Yeah. And now it is time for us to turn to the just incredible on every level interview with the great <laughs> Todd Stashwick. Enjoy. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. You have a bird. Well, hang on. Oh yeah, that's Sebastian. We don't we don't just uh, move past uh, a bird. Oh, he's flirting. As long with as you. you know it's there. As long as you know it's there. <laughs> oh wait, okay. there's a bird. Yeah, that's Sebastian. Sebastian's part of the show. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. He'll um, have some questions for you later, Todd. <laughs> that's the exciting part of the show when Sebastian I'll starts asking questions. When we freeform with the uh, with the parrot. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, um, I have exactly. a I have a bird, and you have a Pac Man. Come on. Yeah, this I, I keep it off so as to not distract you. Bob, I don't know about you. I don't know where to start because um, <laughs> I've been, uh, thanks to you, I've been re-watching Picard season three. What a shame. Oh, nice. What a, what a, what a drag. What a job. Wow, work. Um, <laughs> and I've been, uh, I started watching um, 
12 Monkeys after Ooh. after we talked with Terry because I I'm ashamed to say I'd never heard of it. No, no, and, no. You're not alone. And, and and we're just thrilled that people because of Picard are, are discovering 12 Monkeys. It's so good. So good. Wow. And I, and I don't know if you could tell, but I'm a nerd. And I've um, heard rumors about yeah. that, actually. And um I uh it's one of those shows that I would have been addicted to had I not been on it and so yeah. uh it's it's just such a thrill to actually have a have part of that be part of my life is that how you guys met that's how terry and i met yeah yeah, yeah. and uh and it was uh we, we were sitting there in uh in in washington with all of the you know after the panel that was just tons of people and really amazing and kind and and we were like, couldn't, like from that first day that I walked into the audition for, for, uh, for Twelve Monkeys, we were like, could you imagine if we would like cut to uh, right. us being in Washington <laughs> State in front of people dressed as as, as Vulcans? Uh, there's, we would have got, yeah, right, <laughs> sure, yeah, that's gonna happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, we met, we met at the audition for uh, Twelve Monkeys. Look yeah, what you have yeah. wrought, and. What you have wrought. I mean, Bob and I have been uh, talking about this since, uh, obviously, since season three started. Um, I waited to watch until all of the episodes were out. Were you spoiler freed? I I was. I did a really good job of avoiding spoilers. But uh, Bob and I were talking. He brought up your character, your phenomenal, phenomenal character, uh, Captain William Shaw. And I had I hadn't watched it yet, so in my defense, <laughs> because we were talking about uh, the potential for legacy, mm-hmm. hopefully the next series. I was like, well, you know, let's let's make seven captain and get rid of Shaw. <laughs> so I forgive me, but you had amazing I, foresight. I saw it that, uh, well, but I also changed my mind. That is one of the best, most beautifully wrought and phenomenally acted, I have to say, characters in forever and Star Trek. I mean, seriously, wow. Bob and I are just blown away. And so there are a couple of things uh, we want to talk about and we can start anywhere, but one is, as Bob knows, I'm obsessed with the whole insubordination theme in Star Trek, starting from the oh, original yeah. series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. And there's also yeah. the stunning beauty of negative chemistry. When you have two actors who have chemistry, but whose characters hate each other, I, it is, yeah. or it, or it at least, um, it's always. The, it's the, mo- it's the moonlighting of it all. Well, just because it was, uh, Todd, it was really amazing to see a character who kind of just, <laughs> you know, is is right in your face from the very beginning with his contempt for these legends. Yeah, and he's totally right. About yep. for his reasons. Yeah, yeah. So, do you want to talk a little bit about what it was like to play that when you're actually in the room with the legends, um, and uh, you know how it was it looked like it must have been really fun. So much fun. Um, you know, I have this. I, I have this kind of playful relationship with the uh, with the Trek fans when they come to the table because because. Uh, Every time, um, no, I'm going to say 98% of the time they come up to the table and they go, we hated you at first. And then, and then I'm like, it's clockwork. And so, so my new game is, I'm like, what did you hate about him? That, 
that he was right? Yep. Did you hate the fact that I go, put the shoe on the other foot. You're watching an episode of TNG. Two admirals or, or, or senior officers come in without orders and tell Picard, we're taking your ship. And he would go, mm. what? He would say, what? No. And then what if Riker completely disobeyed Picard's order and took the ship anyway? What would Picard do? And so, so I go, so, so what you hated about him is that he was snippy to your legends. That's right. That's mm -hmm. what you hated about him, but yeah. he was absolutely being a really good captain. So, so it's, it's a fascinating dichotomy. Now, uh, his presentation was was brusque, and his presentation was certainly uh, sarcastic and rude and passive aggressive and, and openly aggressive and uh, and all of that. Um, the shooting of it was a hoot and a half because I had worked with Frakes on um, Burn Notice and uh, and Leverage, mm. so we had already had a, a, a wonderful working relationship, and I, I've been fortunate to to be his actor uh and terry and i obviously for four seasons 12 monkeys so it was not a cold set that i was walking on to and so it was a very warm warmly received and uh and and you know as you guys saw jerry's a laugher and i'm a clown so <laughs> so that is a, a very symbiotic symbiotic relationship like clowns yeah. clowns need laughers so uh so that was actually the first scene I shot with Jerry. Uh, and I had done, I think, a, a, some stuff on the bridge with uh, Picard and, and Riker. And, and also, um, Patrick's a joker. So he's a joker and he loves acting. He loves doing scenes. He loves getting into it. He loves the push. He wants to be surprised in the scene, to react to new things. He wants that. And so that scene was so fun. And, and I think from the previous scene that I had shot on the bridge uh, and sort of established kind of what I thought and what I wanted to do with this guy, uh, I remember doing something and sort of trying it in, in my voice and Terry looking over and going a hundred percent that for the entire season, oh, go nice. there with the guy. And so me doing that and it's very scene chewy and it's very, he's very melodramatic, uh, even in a quiet way, <laughs> but he, uh, but that the dinner scene and, and the, uh, and the saying no scene, um, they wrote me a meal, no pun intended. And uh, and then they let me. The directors gave me room to do it, so it was just the stuff you wish for as an actor. What was the green meat that you were forced to eat? It was, it was green, right? It was space either, meat, Bob. It was blue. Space and it was space meat. Oh, okay, and that's vegan. It. And vegan. I, it was vegan. So it was vegan space meat. <laughs> also known they, as Jello. <laughs> it, was, it was not Jello, which, which isn't is vegan. It was it's space meat, Bob. I don't know where in space <laughs> they got it, but it's from space. I imagine though Earth. something like that. Whatever it is, whatever thing they put in it to turn it green, didn't it turn your mouth green? I mean, that was the it first thing I would have thought of. When it I, did yeah. not. Uh, I, I, whatever space beast they slayed, uh, it does not. Uh, it did not uh, stain my teeth or nothing. 
<laughs> as I'm like washing it back with Malbec. Vulcan kelp or something. Yes, it's the Malbec. Yeah. And you, you knew, we knew we were in for a treat when <laughs> they walk in, are we late? Like, no, your reputation so far preceded you into the room that I started my buddy, early. My <laughs> buddy, mean, Chris Monfett, he has, he's one of the writers. He was a writer for 12 Monkeys. And so these guys know exactly the kind of lines to, to throw me. And he's such a he's such a, a lyricist with his writing. I can always tell a, a Monfet line because there were these lovely crafted little little playful uh, bon mots, as they say. Yeah. So, so at some point, you probably saw online that fans really embrace your character initially, as you were describing. Bonkers. Oh, we hate this guy! But then after a couple more episodes, holy crap! That you know yeah. everyone wants more Captain Shaw. And so at some point you're going, and we, we talked with Terry about this too. At some point you got to be going, oh, well, spoiler, by the way, uh, they kill me. Oh my God, what am I going to do now? What, what I, what, well, look, you never know how people are going to respond. And we shot it a year out, right? Uh, we knew that there was going to be a turn to the character. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, we knew that the, that the work was, it was easy to get them to hate me, but the work was yeah. to get them to suddenly see his side and, 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 and hopefully uh, empathize with the guy. Um, and so that, uh, you know, that you lean into the humor, you lean into the, the pathos and, and that hopefully gets the audience to kind of, to get him. You never know what's going to become memes. Like it's just, yeah. it's not yeah. a thing that you can plan. Um, I think if I was, you know, to psychoanalyze at all why they responded to him, uh, other than my devastatingly green eyes, um, they <laughs> that matched the space meat. Space meat. It was blue. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I kid. I play. I'm kid and play. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it. I think when when viewers have a change of heart about something, there is far more investment. Yeah. 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 When you when they have a catharsis about a character, there is a far greater investment and uh, agency. Like they they feel. They, there's an ownership then. It's like you mm-hmm. moved and changed my mind. Therefore, I'm on your team. And I think yeah. that's a powerful thing. We love to see characters that we go, no, 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 no. Like now I'm rooting for you. When Han Solo comes flying in at the end and says, you're all clear, kid. Boom. He's ours for mm-hmm. the rest of yeah. of our days. So to answer your second question, which was the, 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 did we, did the, when he died, like, what, what do we do about that? Yeah, um, yeah. I said to Terry, I said, cause, cause we started to get worried. Like, are we going to get like anger from people once, because we <laughs> yeah, know I mean. it was like yeah. the monster at the end of the book. We right. know it's coming in like three episodes. And so I said, well, let's just make an immemorium video and show Spock. <laughs> And Data and Picard and Shaw because there's dead and then there's Star Trek dead. Right. I mean, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, Bob, but there's already like this armed rebellion uh, saying that if 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 uh, Captain Shaw isn't resurrected for legacy, there's going to be a problem. 
Yeah, it was like Tyrion Lannister. If they killed Peter <laughs> Dinklage in Game of Thrones, yeah. I was going to stop watching that show. And thank God they never did. But, you know, uh, Todd, you have this thing, this X factor, where your characters are funny, but also like dark, unstable, and kind of ready to snap at any minute. I think <laughs> Cap Captain Jaw is kind of like I, that way. I, I play broken men. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the first things I noticed about Dale Malloy, your character yeah. in The Riches. And that was one of those things where when I first saw you on screen in Picard, I did that Leonardo DiCaprio gif, that meme with him pointing at the Yeah, doing that thing, because I said, oh, my God, that's Dale Malloy from The Riches, which was my favorite show when that came it, out. It was, it was so one. special and unique. But you have this thing where you were sinister, but also an awkward goofball at the same time. Like I remember one scene where Dale Malloy is laying in bed and he's got a prosthetic arm and he's like yeah. demonstrating how he might yeah. Yeah, pleasure himself with the prosthetic arm. <laughs> it's a living, Bob. It's a living. Gonna have to check that out. Someone has to. <laughs> you know, it's funny to, to that. Uh, I Some of the strangest responses that I've ever gotten <laughs> from uh from fans of shows uh someone said i felt so bad for you when you were killing your father <laughs> yeah and it was like because there's this scene again spoilers 13 years later there's a scene where i'm carrying my father red west by the way elvis is one of elvis's right hands part of the the memphis mafia oh, uh, that's right yeah but uh i'm carrying him in the in the to leave him to die in the forest uh, and he will suffocate without his oxygen tank. But I have this very heartfelt monologue that I'm weeping my way through, but I'm getting him, I'm getting rid of him so that I can take over the, the family uh, yeah. in that, in that mafia sort of way. But they're like, we felt so bad for you when you were killing your dad. Like, That's very Greek tragedy. I'm like um, security. Uh, it's like who, who do you talk to when, when? when yeah, I mean it's a, it's a compliment because to what you're saying is people yeah. people have enjoyed the 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 whether it's goofballness or sarcasm or something of that I'm doing over here. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. my character is a, a sociopath and cutting into Aaron Stanford's chest. You know, it's yeah. it's, uh, well, it's, a, it's a it's a wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Shaw's not a sociopath. He's no, he is not. He has, as you say, broken and and one of the challenging parts as a viewer because you know he ends up. I think he starts out being sympathetic because I'm totally on board with the whole yeah insurrection, not such a great idea thing. Um, and if you think about as you put it, if you think about it being other characters having it be done to Picard or Riker or Kirk or Spock, it, it, it shines a whole new light on it. But also if you think about what's at stake versus what's being risked, what it's being risked for, it, it also doesn't make any sense. Um, if we, especially if we, we saw uh, the second Star Trek movie. Um, <laughs> so one thing about Shaw though, that was a little bit hard or kind of, really difficult to get over was his his racism towards seven um that's that was a real challenge how was that to play how was that to and i get where you know we we come to understand deeply what it comes from but it also yeah. seems really personal uh so i was curious what that arc was like uh for you guys well it's it's interesting because fundamentally 
and I think you went over a bit of this with with Jerry as well. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a listener, longtime fan, first time caller. <laughs> um, that's you know what? It's, that's going to carry me. You saying that is going to carry me for the next like five months of shows. Because Bob's here, a radio Bob's a guy. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, Bob. Um, so uh, it's a l- interesting with the Borg because they traditionally are villains yep. in Star Trek, and yeah. so to say to the analogous, and, and it's again, it's what Star Trek does great. It's not quite racism when you go. No, these people were committing genocide. Yeah. These, 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 this race of aliens yes. were committing genocide. Yes, and so uh, and obliterated eleven thousand people in a day. Good point from mm-hmm. Starfleet. And so his his pain is is understandable. Right. That being said, what seven is not accountable to what the people that kidnapped her mm-hmm. uh you know it's 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 a bit of that like she was she was pulled into against her will and right. forced to be this thing and as she's was learned, picard as was picard yeah um and so uh so i'm gonna just put that right here now she has owned her borgness Mm-hmm. And she is not ashamed of the life that she is, has right now. And so, yeah, it it is interesting that that this is the part of him that he cannot abide in her is the part that is the very center of his complex trauma. So he sort of walls it off by saying, I see all of your worth, but I cannot call you seven of nine. That for him was a bridge too far, but there was an immersion therapy there with him choosing her as his first officer. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously working on himself, uh, baby stepping his way through his journey, and going instead of going no, absolutely not. I will not have a a, a former Borg serve on my ship. He was like, no. She brings a lot of uh that fire that he won't allow himself to have because of his experiences but recognizes that's necessary on your bridge you need a dissenting voice on your bridge you need someone who isn't just gonna to uh just bow to your wishes at all time and be that hang on let's look at this situation and we watch him take her advice so the disrespecting of seven in that area is only a part of their relationship. He's hard on her as a captain may often be on their first officer, but he's hard on her, not because she's a Borg. Right. Well, I think that's a really good corrective. And I'm glad, I'm glad you, you said that because uh, it's not racism. The Borg are more powerful and, and And the Borg technically aren't a race. Exactly. And they're assimilators. They're a collective. Yeah. And they have, you know, destroyed millions of lives. Um, They're almost a virus. It's, it's the ways in which. That's a great way to look at it. it, That's a really good way of looking at it. He identifies those two characters, Picard, and seven yes, with does. with the Borg. Yes. So, yes, but does. it is it. The other reason it's an important distinction is because, um, you know, you look at how uh, Vulcans get treated 
throughout the course. Of, <laughs> green blood, green blood, green that's blood, a, pointy that's eared, a pointy eared, pointy eared, yeah. Totally <laughs> different issue entirely. Yeah, no, and you're and, and you're a hundred percent on the money. I mean that that's but again that's 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 what Trek does great. It's yeah. like you go, you take yeah. on these complexities and you take on these issues, but you take them on from the side. So if, say, the trans community connects to the issue with Shaw and uh, and Seven as a dead naming issue, then great. Yep. You should not like him for doing this. Right. Mm-hmm. You should. He's yeah. wrong. He's wrong. And we come to see him evolve. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. People call it a redemption arc, but he's he is a good captain. Yeah. He is a good captain. He's a- he is a good captain. So the re- is it a, a redemption or is it an evolution of a man? Like he's a man and, and people, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, in the community, the LGBTQ uh community have said to me he's an important character to show that building a wall between people who are are disrespecting you uh it's better to go leave room for them to evolve don't abide them let them know what they're doing is wrong but they aren't just one thing because shaw was a lot of other things than just that issue. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also fair to say that it's an evolution of the viewer's perception and understanding of the character. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons it works so beautifully, because we had those two things happening in parallel. Yeah. And my guess is there are people who are huge Star Trek fans, that dead name. And suddenly they may have liked Shaw and then suddenly watch him evolve and go, oh, Mm -hmm. interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe I can. Maybe it is a bit of that Again, like Trek cons- consistently being a mirror to society. We were, t- I was talking because Walter Koenig is my neighbor. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so we've, we've, we've had these conversations about how during the Cold War, you had a Russian on the bridge. During mm-hmm. the high racial tensions, you had an African American woman on the bridge. Dur- and then the mortal enemy of those seasons were the Klingons. Then mm-hmm. you get to Next Gen, you have a Klingon on the bridge. Then the mortal enemy of Next Gen are the Borg. Then we have a Borg as a first officer. So this is showing the way. Yeah. yeah. And Picard having a relationship with uh, Romulan. It, it, yes. It's like, we're, we're so getting good. there. So good. So the Wolf three, five, nine speech. Never heard uh, of it. So first of all, that's gotta be at the top of your highlight reel. Like that's gotta be something that you, Oh my God, get yeah. me a tape of that. I'm going to include that right at the top. But, um, it's easily one of the biggest highlights of season three. How did you prepare for that monologue? Did anything special go into uh, uh, sort of getting into the skin of someone who has experienced this immense amount of trauma, which even so many years later has informed his worldview? It's interesting because I think, uh, I think he hadn't, I mean, other than probably when he closes his eyes, I think, so much as in his life. I mean, he has ascended rank. Well, hang on. Uh, I just got, I just lost you guys for a second because when my phone rings, it knocks you guys off. Yeah. <laughs> See how good we said? Yeah. What's interesting is, uh, is um, the, 
so much has happened in his life. I mean, he's risen through the ranks. He's he has taken. He's been on the Titan for five years. Uh, Frakes and I continue to have a fight over whose ship it is. I saw um, that. That's so cool. Yeah, we continue. But but I, I want to pause it to him. I'm like, well, if it was your ship, why'd you have to ask permission to take? It? <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, he's risen in ranks, and I think coming face to face with Picard, which I don't think he's ever seen him face to face. That's what brought it all. That's what brought the trauma to the present. And again, yeah. that's what that's what grief is. That's what trauma is, is what it's brought to the surface. It's happening again for you right now. Yeah. Um, preparation. Uh, well, I rewatched uh, Best of Both Worlds, part one and two, so that I mm-hmm. knew what was going on outside the window. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's all that, you know, it's the sausage factory of it all. Like, uh, it's all the, what I have to do is recreate what I am seeing, watching and doing. I have to see my engine room going berserk and things exploding. I have to see my friends and pick faces of my friends and watch us running down to the shuttle bay, watching people dead, watching us maybe being, Borg walking through the hallways. I have to I have to recreate all that so that when I'm talking about it, I have images that I am thinking about. Yeah. When I'm retelling the story. Because again, it's like, you know, I tell you about the story about where I was when my father died. Uh I know what the room looked like. I know what the phone call looked like. I know what you know what I mean? Like that stuff sticks with you. It becomes dog-eared in your memory. So I had to, I had to build all that for myself so that I could recreate it. Cause uh, images lead to thoughts. Cause you have opinions about images, thoughts lead to emotions. Right. So that's kind of what I did. And, and then I just get out of the way of the amazing words that, that Sean Tretta and, and Terry wrote. And then, I do it, and then I look in the eyes of Patrick, and I look in the eyes of Ed, and then you get the rest of the scene from them, uh, because that's they're giving me everything, and um, and then Frakes, you know, I've talked about this. He would let me reset the whole monologue from the beginning every time. So oh. when we change cameras, when we would do push-ins, when we when he would have an adjustment, uh, like try this hotter, try that, blah blah blah. He never made me come in in the middle of it. Wow. He always allowed me to start the story over so that I never had to come in hot. Uh, I, I could just live through it all every time. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it's not like putting hammer to a nail. You kind of need this thing to feed into that thing. It's yeah. like the, the old uh, Trey Parker philosophy with writing. It, therefore two things and. Can't be, therefore and. Exactly right. And so you need that build. Yeah, it, so, was, it, was, it was a special day. You know, it was yeah. a special day. I mean, I can't treat it like any other day at work other than because you don't want to like what's the... Neil Gaiman says, just don't look down. Uh, like if I, if I thought of the gravity of like, I'm sitting here with, and I'm doing a scene and I'm ab- about one of the most famous Star Trek two-parters in history. Mm-hmm. And I'm here with, with Jean-Luc Picard himself and his son. And over here is number one behind the camera. Like 
one could crumble under the the, the nerd reality of that all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you just got to not look down, and you just have to trust the process and the thirty years of industry of being in the industry, and and do your thing, and then. You know, afterwards, uh, if, if this is a humble brag, but uh, after we did the scene, uh, Patrick walks over and, you know, puts his hand on my arm and squeezes it. And he goes, so fucking good. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, I can oh. retire. I can retire. I just got <laughs> chills, man. I'm done. I can <sighs> I can retire. Yeah, it was it was like, wow. you know, every once in a while you get these these moments in your career and they they fuel you. They feel you. Yeah. yeah, it's like like when that guy Todd Stashwick said on our show that he's a listener to our show. Oh wait, that's you, and and you love you listen, and uh, that's I swear to God that's going to fuel me for years. So I said it in front of a Pac Man machine and Mego action figures. <laughs> hey, so, hey we're, take, we're from the same That makes it better, sure. actually. That <laughs> right? makes it much better. Right. Yeah. So along those lines, though, Todd, that scene where Shaw meets Jordy was one of my favorites of the entire <laughs> season, where suddenly Shaw is befuddled and yeah. nervous and intimidated. I, I get fun. the sense that in real life, you don't easily get intimidated on set. It's called acting, Bob. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's um, it. You know, it's funny because I, ha I had uh, like I said, by the time we got to that scene, I had already been on the show working for a while before mm -hmm. uh, before lavar folded in and such a lovely human who i've you know has been in in my life since since roots totally. like at reading rainbow and blah 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 i mean he's he's lavar burton yeah. uh and but i'd also known his daughter through the D, &D world uh mika she's a big uh she's a big D dungeons and dragons player and so it was it was like meeting your friends dad but who also happens to be lavar burton so uh so it was great to to meet him and and everybody's just so wonderful and warm and professional and and so what was fun about that a lot of a lot of fans were like you must have been fanboying and like by the time like again we were all actors making this show right and mm. so uh so it was just really cool to get a cool scene with LeVar because I had cool scenes with Frakes and Jerry. And, and, and so this was my first time of really getting to have a little scene with LeVar and we're like, well, let's play this. Let's have fun with this. And, and, and it was such a different color for Shaw that it was like, Oh great. Now I get to genuinely kind of be a bit of a clown because Shaw is so, so kind of, unimpressed with so much that to <laughs> yeah. now get to go oh he's also this he's not just mm -hmm. that he's not just the uh we're, we're practically a hotel now guy he like he likes things he likes exploring he likes he, he i mean he chose to be an explorer right um but that scene so the story of that scene was um us doing the scene and so we did a rehearsal of it and i think the original line was he, he says he's like you're this or subpar blah, blah, blah. And the whole place is held together by duct tape blah, blah, blah. and and after i had complimented him he sort of read me the laundry list of how awful the state of my ship is in and then my initial response on the page was something like touche and i was like that doesn't track because touche is usually i insulted you you insult me back and so i pitched to terry i said what if i said to apologize for how awful my ship is what if i said it's been a weird week yeah. uh <laughs> and line. terry's like yeah. yes say so, that yeah. and then i remember saying it 
And then uh, on one of the takes, I just kept backing up until I intentionally like banged into the railing. Like it just sort of like, just stupidly like a clown. And I banged into the railing and then, um, and then LeVar goes, did you just bang into the furniture? I said, yeah. He goes, you are shameless. I said, yeah, no lies detected. And so, and then it was, and it was as we were going through that scene, Terry was like, we have to cut to Jerry and, 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 uh, and Patrick being like, who is that guy? Like we've not seen that Shaw. So all of that was discovered, uh, all of that was discovered on the day. So it was a delight. It was an important part of what you were saying before, the redemption arc. It really, I think, endeared everyone to Shaw on a level that hadn't been experienced up to that point. Well, it was also, again, is the redemption for him or was it for the audience? Are they the ones that have to have the change of heart? Because Good he point. always respected her if you watch the hologram. At the yes, end of the that, show, he always respected we, Jerry, so he wasn't redeemed in his in his belief in Seven of Nine, and he wasn't. He always loved Jordy. He was very excited to meet Jordy. Mm -hmm. Jordy was a legend. It's but it's it's the audience coming along for the ride and having a change of heart to watch mm -hmm. sides of the man be revealed. Yeah, and then uh, and the evolution of him. But but uh, I I I I. I Redemption to me often is attached to a villainous role and he's not a villain. Yeah, I agree. I think that th this is potentially a mirror for our experience when new iterations of Star Trek come out. When, when Shaw is introduced, he, he's experiencing hostility. He gets a lot of hostility from the people he's surrounded by. And, you know, some of it makes sense. Some of it we don't know why yet. But the people who are being hostile are people we already know and trust. Mm -hmm. uh, so just much like, you know, what Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes and all those guys had to do come, starting Next Generation yeah. in the shadow yeah. of Nimoy. And, I mean, you know, I, so yeah. it, it's almost similar. Like, you have to... The you have to earn have their to... trust. Exactly. And when 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 you meet a character as auspiciously as the way you meet Shaw, it's fun to go, I don't like him. Because I'm eliciting mm -hmm. an emotion, you know, like like a what we, we used to say a groan is as good as a laugh when we were at Second City. Like yeah, I'm yeah. still getting a rise out of you, yeah. one way or the other. Um and so and the fun of, you know, Terry and I knowing where this guy's going, knowing what's coming to go, just wait, just wait, just wait and wait. And so we were on pins and needles the night before the Wolf 359 speech was going to drop. Um, and so the night before we were like, uh, it's going to be interesting to see when, when that, the, the, the sea change happens in people's yeah. hearts for this guy. And they, and, and still be pissed at him for, for dead naming. Right. Yeah. Which is complicated and complex and interesting. Cause again, I don't ever want my characters to just be one thing. Yeah. And then there's the other dimension too, where apparently Terry told us that this is a running gag, but he beat the living shit out of you throughout the course of the season. Uh, the, compound fracture. Two, two, two different shows. 
Two different shows. <laughs> That's right. In Twelve Monkeys, you get the crappy out. It was it was a running joke that I would I would turn yeah. the page when I'd get a new script and it was like, and Deacon has his eye swollen shut. <laughs> I think Terry De- has a beef against my depth perception. Um, <laughs> Are you okay with the like, makeup? Do you like the makeup? Is that is that maybe part of it too? You just, I no, don't. I don't imagine so. I I don't mind having that. <laughs> so quick story uh you'll get to a, a i don't want to spoil it too much but there's a scene in 12 monkeys where uh my character uh, has been badly attacked boom i'm covered in 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 cuts and blood i'm shirtless i i i have been preparing literally for this section of the episode for season three i had gone into training to get into a certain physical condition blah 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 and we waited and waited and waited and we finally get to to shoot the scene and i'm gonna i'm gonna um throw chris monfett under the bus here mm-hmm. um my eyes swollen shut and i'm all cut up and i'm covered in caro syrup and we're lying there and it's like one o'clock in the morning this is gonna be my first day back and i have been like on a very restricted diet, blah, blah, blah. And we're lying there and we're, we're waiting and I'm waiting. And then Chris walks in and he looks at a light. And he's like, Hey, we need to change that. Uh, all right. Ladders come in, flags come in, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And they go, we're calling the night. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't, we didn't shoot anything. <laughs> we didn't shoot anything. That sounds so like now, a practical joke. At 1.30, I was being punked. At 1.30 in the morning, I now have to go get it all off and wash off and get all the prosthetics off. So I have another hour of 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 breakdown and then know that we're probably not going to get back to the scene for a month because of locations and stuff. Oh, oh my God. I got to have my eyes shut again. It sounds personal. <laughs> I remember the first time there's a scene where I'm sort of set up by this character, the foreman, where Aaron Stanford's character is basically trying to leave me for dead because I wasn't very nice. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I come limping back just again and and, and, and make a bloodied me up. And uh, I go, it's not it's not enough blood. And they're like, no, you're coated. I go, Terry's going to want more blood. And like, no, you're (laughs) coated. And like, I'm like. Okay, okay, trust me. And then they they'd march me in front of Terry. And he goes, "Hey, tell me you need more blood. <laughs> Where's the thing?" And then they hand him this thing that looks like a ketchup dispenser, and like he just frosts me like a cake. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and the whole time my one good eye is just looking at the makeup head. And I'm like, yeah, I told you, I told you. Yeah, oh, that's so great. It, it's a fetish of his. He's really into seeing me in red. Like, were you especially mean to him one time as dungeon master? I mean, what? <laughs> no, this was long before that. He just, he just. I think it's the kind of character that I play. People, people like you know. It's like Indiana Jones. I'm comparing myself yeah. to Harrison Ford because we were born in the same hospital. Um, and the comparisons oh, awesome. they don't they don't end there. Um, but but uh, I think the joy of knocking guys like me down is watching them get back up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's Indiana Jones. We love to watch his knees buckle and yeah. he goes to the ground and then all beat up and bruised watching them stand up. That's why we love them. Not because they're lantern jawed and they can, you know, they're two fisted. It's the ability to get knocked down and get back up again. 
And there's something also that's really dramatic about someone who has a certain level of confidence getting the shit kicked out of them on screen. And well, I, it's certainly uh, the, great dramatic tension, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things I think of uh, wasn't necessarily Indiana Jones, but I went to uh, Han Solo in Empire Strikes Back, where he gets the crap kicked out of him at the end of that movie, and uh, yeah. it continues into the next movie. And it so, didn't even ask me questions. Exactly. There's mm -hmm. such a contrast there between this cocky, self-assured guy, and yeah. then suddenly he's in a situation that he can't talk his way out of. And it's wailing. incredible. Yeah. yeah. Plus, yeah. they had to find a way for me to transfer command to Riker. So, you know, making yeah. my femur come out of my leg is a quick way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that was a good and one. Just visually something. So gross. So yeah, gross. yeah. So and then you gross. then you almost you almost drown in your own fluids. They have to. There's a little bit of that. And I had them like I had them like put it in my mouth so that when I turned it would just go. Oh. Yeah, I wanted <laughs> oh, wow. I wanted all that. Like grindhouse this puppy. Forgive me. At some point, asshole became a substitute for charm. In real life, has asshole become a substitute for charm, Todd? <laughs> for me. Not for anyone, just, just generally for speaking. I'm speaking in terms of someone for you about me, but I don't know if it is a substitute. Like I like it's just a, it's a shame. Like I, I uh, you know, I, I hope that, you know, I was raised better than that. There's one thing of, of stating your ground, uh, but there's another thing. I mean, there's something about social media that's like the equivalent of keying someone's car. Mm -hmm. especially when you don't even have their names attached to it. It's like, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm pickup truck five, seven, six, like, like not, no offense to people that don't pick up trucks. People don't pick up trucks. I love pickup trucks, Disclaimer, um, yeah. <laughs> but I just mean like people like you can like have your name be not even attached. You don't even know who's doing it and they're attacking you and then it's hit and run. And so yeah. you just have to build Teflon against that stuff. Yeah, I think it's more like uh, asshole is 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 mistaken for charm in uh, uh, certain social media and in the country uh, more broadly. Um, and it it is tough because I know that sort of the anonymity of it should uh, should make it not sting so much. And you know, you must get it's this. The one person not clapping, right? It's the <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and also. It also, look, I mean, we, we've built foundations of reality shows on people being antagonistic towards each other. And we thrive on, on, on the clickbait of, of vitriol. Like it, it's, it, it's, it, we should, we should speak to higher angels in ourselves. It's like, again, I like for myself, I am never a critic. There, I don't love every show I watch or every movie I watch. Mm -hmm. I will not slam a show. I know how hard it is to make TV yeah. and yeah. movies, so I will not slam it. I will over a bourbon talk about some. You know, an, I'll get deep in the nerd of it all with my friends, but like I keep that out of the public. And often it's it's more about how clever the person is insulting the thing that they're, and not actually about valid yeah. critique. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, the tribalism online has now extended into sort of what's been known as toxic fandom. And uh, I mean, it's basically guys who insist that we all have to love what they love. And if we don't, we're the enemy. We're taking <laughs> my, something away from them. My buddy Dennis has the great phrase uh, when someone is like, oh, you like that? Uh, we just go, <laughs> it's like we're two different people. <laughs> 
I'm gonna like, steal that. It's just, it's just the best <laughs> response. Like, like, huh? Imagine that. I was getting into it because occasionally I will take the bait with a Star Trek fan who just is not happy with the current state of Trek, mm-hmm. and then, and then just will continue to to just berate it. And then I go, Are there? I just once asked them, Are there things that you love that other people don't? And they deflected. And I said, and then I'm like, well, now I'm on it. Are there things that you like that other people don't? I finally pinned them down and they answered the question. I said, okay, then thank you for your candor. Because they answered, yes, there are things that they love that other people don't. I said, thank you for your candor. No more questions. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's like, you know, how could you not like chocolate? I don't know. I just don't. Or because I, did, I, didn't, I don't actually pick what I like and don't like. I notice yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I notice it. Uh, and it's, it's, such, it's such a good point, especially since Star Trek. I mean, one of the things a lot of us love it so much is because it's about being better, getting better, striving, mm-hmm. not agreeing all the time, but just under, having a commonality of purpose and, you know, wanting to overcome our limitations and our, our strife between each other. 100%. So it's, it is a little weird for Star Trek of all things to have toxic fandom, um, but considering wow. it's yeah. been this way forever, it has always yeah. been challenging our perceptions yeah. of, of, you know, uh, society and politics and all that other stuff. Um, have you always been a truck person? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I have the Migos back there. So in 1974, and I've told this story, uh, my cousin Tori, I, again, I remember where I was sitting at my aunt Charlotte's for Christmas uh, night when I open up that box and there is Kirk and Spock and, and McCoy. Oh, and wow. then the other box had the, uh, Enterprise playset. Oh my god! <laughs> Look at that. Wow. And um, and so my uncle Joe and my and my cousin Tori were my shepherds into all things sci-fi. I had my Planet of the Apes Migos, and I had my Star Trek and my superheroes. And then my uncle Joe is the one who took me to Star Wars. So I, my, the seeds of imagining really started early five and six years old and so the joke is i you know if you had told six-year-old todd that someday he would be a starfleet captain i would say yeah that totally tracks because (laughs) because i've been pretending to be a starfleet captain since i was six so like that was always the goal right i mean come (laughs) on guys really uh i mean like yeah and and, uh, again truthfully who could have imagined that the course of events would lead to this but the fact that like that's all i've ever wanted to do um so is 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 be han solo is to be captain kirk like these are the things these filled so much of my play that those seeds dungeons and dragons those seeds then just wet my appetite for playing characters and telling stories as a grown-ass man 
Do you go through phases? I find myself with these genre things. Like, for a few weeks, I'll fall back in love with Star Wars again, and then I'll fall in love with Star Trek, and then it'll be sure. Batman, and then it'll be something mm -hmm. uh, from the Marvel Universe, maybe, and then Lord of the Rings, and then back to Star Trek, and then, then, then back to Star Wars after that. It's this ongoing revolving door of 100%. affection for all of these things that are so formative for people of our generation. Agreed. Agreed. I... And, you know, people talk talk to me about that. They're like, you're like a super nerd uh, who's who's uh, who's who's living the, the the dream of it all. And yeah. and I and myself and Terry, who you know, we were kids of the '80s, and these were our influences. We are the children mm -hmm. of Lucas and Spielberg, right? So yeah, yeah, and Cameron and 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 all of that. So we. we we grew up with this stuff. This was the raw material of imagining. So it would only stand to reason that these were the influences that pushed us and JJ Abrams, like that pushed us into wanting to be creators ourselves. And so uh, revisiting those things and collecting the toys and whatnot, these are totems of power, right? Yeah. These are the things that inspire me and lift me up and I escape into or I cry over their their empathy machines we learn how to cry we learn how to laugh and we field test all these emotions I was I made a joke uh, yesterday at the fan expo that like when we were shooting the scene or when I was watching uh, episode nine with my wife on the couch and and I'm dying in Jerry's arms uh, and my wife is she's in it and she's she's getting all over Clint and I'm OK. Like I'm fine. I've I, I know the scene. Right. So I'm watching it. And I'm like, you know, I'm judging it. Probably <laughs> I could have said that better whatever. I'm watching it. And then one scene later, when the bay doors open to reveal the Enterprise D, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's so yeah. And I am, <laughs> I am a sobbing puddle of a mess. And she's like, what is wrong with you people? Uh, right. She's like, you it's nerds, <laughs> you're not crying over your own death, but you're crying at the, the spaceship. I'm like, you don't understand. This is from the woman who has a dune tattoo on her arm. So, <laughs> see. Yeah, in fact, uh, I was saying to to Jerry last week on the show that that look on her face and that picture while she's playing D&D &D at your house, <laughs> there's that one great picture that turned into a meme, right, of that like now, kind of incredulous look. And I was like, you know what? To be fair, those were photo opportunities. <laughs> they were playing for the camera. She had a great, she had a great night. She was, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to just jump into. And especially if you're not familiar with those kind of games, she had a great time and she was a hoot and a blast. And there were moments where she's like, I don't want to tell you how I kill the thing. I just do. <laughs> I mean, that's what she's she's like, like, wait a minute. I have to make this stuff up. She's no. like, it work. <laughs> but that being said, it was, it was a ton of laughs uh, and she was fantastic. But to, to your earlier issue, cycling through my nerddoms right now, we, we set up the big uh, the digital projector in the yard because it's so nice out, too. Yeah. And we have been going through the Lord of the Rings trilogy nice. again. Oh, and, yeah. and they're always there for us. That's why when people are like, these movies killed my childhood because they're not like the movies I grew up with. I'm like, you can just go watch the movies you grew yeah. up with. Yeah, no you kidding. Maybe or, you these your or you can broaden your horizons. Or you can broaden your horizons. But yeah, I mean, like, like A New Hope to me is a perfect film and I it is always there for me. 
not even the special editions, like the 1977 theatrical release will yep. always be there for me and it will always move me and I will cry when the throne room music begins or binary sunset begins. I'm a puddle. Like, like yeah. they're always there for me. And then, yes, I'm a big Batman guy. I'm a big uh, Star Wars kid. Star Trek. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a very uh, typical nerd. And Star Wars was a, such a big epiphany, but was there something before? I mean, you were around, what, eight years old when Star Wars came out in 77? Yeah, so, yeah. But w was there anything prior to that well, that Trek. kind of was Trek. your gateway drug in all Star Trek, Trek, right? Trek, Trek, Trek and yeah. Planet of the Apes. We used to go yeah, to Planet my... Planet of the Apes, my God. And the, and the TV series. So we yeah. would go mm -hmm. to my, uh, my grandma's uh, and we would order pizza, which... That could have been the evening, uh, but we uh, we would order pizza because that's just crack for kids. Um, and I would sit there and I would watch the Planet of the Apes TV series, and mm. it, I'm like, wow. and we would watch Star Trek reruns because it was in syndication by then. So those were all those were like I said, those were all the toys that I had because mm -hmm. again, the Migos came out in '74, so that's that that predates Star Wars by three years. Yeah, um, and uh, then the Rankin and Bass Hobbit. I was always, but that was also 77. Uh, Close Encounters was big for me. Just, again, I just like, we were saying earlier, I just noticed that I was drawn to genre television and storytelling, fantastical storytelling. And and, and my mother and my, my parents were absolutely encouraging and supportive of it. Building the pillow forts, you know, like that were yeah. Planet of the Apes. You know, it was... It, it just it it formed my childhood and informed my play. It really was. A, I never really thought about it this way until you just mentioned all those amazing movies and shows. It was a golden age of, yeah. uh, or not not even. Um, it was the uh, kind of like the the jet age of sci-fi. Um, I, I mean, to have and you know you throw in the Twilight Zone, uh, <laughs> and you know I to be a kid who had an imagination and who, you know, wanted to look beyond yeah. where we were or where one was, it was, I mean, it's, it's not surprising that it's just grown because of the, um, how, how it informed our childhoods. Mm -hmm. And wonderful morality plays. Yes. And, and yeah. lessons for kids. So you take Trek and again, like not not blinking that there's a Russian African American woman on the bridge. Like and mm -hmm. we as kids just go, uh-huh. Yeah. Like why would that ever be? Because I didn't know politics. Right. So I just was watching that going, Yeah, that makes sense. I don't why would it why is that didn't seem out of the ordinary to a six year old? And that's right. the point, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. the point. And so, 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 and then Star Wars, great, you know, good versus evil yeah. in black and white hats, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, especially post Vietnam, like the healing balm that all that stuff was. And then Wrath of Khan, which yep. again, that's my, I think that might be my favorite Star Trek. It's stunning. It's stunning. And the soundtrack. So Look, I, I pull a page out of that book. Oh, like, it's amazing. Oh I love it. I, I just like, I'll it. take that. I, I, oh. Basically, I spent my life trying to be Bill Murray and Tom Hanks and a little Shatner here, a little Harrison yeah. Ford here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> along those lines, where would you peg Shaw as a Star Trek archetype? Like, for example, I'll just give you an example of what I'm talking about. 
you famously auditioned for Saturday Night Live. And yeah. one of the things Lauren Michaels likes to do. Just or I famously I didn't get Raven. Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, one of the things he likes to do is he likes to categorize everyone who auditions into a pre an archetype of a previous cast member. Like, oh, you're a Billy. Oh, he's a Chevy. And and so. Good Lord. Wow. <laughs> thank you very that's much. judgy. Yeah. But where would you see, how would you see yourself along those lines? Uh, I'm talking about Captain Shaw in uh, the Star Trek continuum. Are you a Shatner or are you a Riker? You know what I mean? That's a great question. This is going to sound, this is going to sound well, a lot of people compared him to Jellicoe, but I just think that's more in function. Yeah, yeah. I disagree. I but in presentation, yeah. I, in presentation, and again, so much of this is uh, the credit is to the writers. We haven't seen this guy. Like he's a Shaw. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, because that was going to be my follow up. I, yeah. I honestly believe that Shaw is brand new to the Star Trek canon. And as and, and, and part of that. Part of that is, and there's there was, I think, articles written about it. Mm. He's the first Gen X captain. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Which I'm the driver, so I yeah. am Gen X. So he's the first Gen X captain. He's the first, like, over it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Gen X, like, yeah, there we go. Okay, do we really have so to? Much I've been doing okay. this since yeah. I was yeah. four. Keep, keep my head down. <laughs> I'll let myself in the door because mom and dad are at work. I'm a Gen X captain. And so I think that alone, the Gen X kids that, like myself, in the early 90s that were watching it went, oh, I'm that guy. Yeah. yeah. I'm not yeah. Kirk. I might want, well, that's what they were saying. They're like, I want to be Picard, but I'm that guy. <laughs> like, do you kind of, did, yeah. did it take a Gen X showrunner to make a Gen X captain and have it be so representative of sort of the archetype of that generation well i, I think much of, much of gen x is and, and is 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 and, and you know like tarantino and whatnot is postmodernism, yeah. right? It, right it is a reflective deconstruction of mm -hmm. of of genre and shaw was a reflective deconstruction of next generation Totally. Yeah. Where he, yeah. Uh, uh, I love you, boys. I really do. All your fabulous, equally irresponsible adventures. Like he was this kind of <laughs> Greek chorus commenter on them. So going back to what we were saying earlier about Locutus, deep down he knows it wasn't Picard that was killing all of us. It was Locutus. Picard yeah. was a hostage. But I think, and I've said this before, I think. Shaw saw their cowboy ways as poking the bear that put them in traffic that got him hit by the board. Yeah, it's so, so funny. Right. I, I thought you were going to say it wasn't Lucutus, it was the baby boomers. Um, the boomers. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. boomers. Um, something I've we've talked about uh, on these initial several podcast episodes with both Terry and Jerry is how human human civilization gets to the Star Trek future, if at all. I mean, without going through too many catastrophes before we wake up and realize uh, our place in the galaxy, right? How do we mm -hmm. get to something like the United Federation of Planets without destroying ourselves in the process? 
It's a terrific question. Um, well, it'll take the Vulcans visiting. <laughs> that would help I, tremendously. I, 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 I say that half kidding. I think I think something to the effect of eventually indisputable proof of sentient life elsewhere suddenly does not make us Americans, South Americans, mm -hmm. Africans, Germans, we are earthlings, right? We are now, we, they don't see us as these different states. They see, yeah. they would see us as a unified species. And, mm -hmm. and then I think that might lead us to doing it. I also think, I also think that, cataclysms that our, our our planet may be seeing coming down the road uh, might unify us because we're going to have to go, all right, the water's rising. <laughs> like, yeah. we're going to have to band together regardless of who we voted for in order for our children and our children's children to have a place to uh, put their feet up. Yeah. Are you hopeful for humanity? Are, are you more... Shaw about humanity or more Picard about humanity? I'm a hopeful dude. I'm a I'm an optimist. Yeah. My operating yeah. system is happiness. Uh, I uh, I may because happiness is not circumstances and happiness is not a place because there are people in horrible circumstances that yeah. find a way to persevere. Yeah. Uh, Ukraine, like there are there are yeah. ways like you see you see the resolve, human resolve. Uh, and so I'm an optimist. Again, it's like, what's the Mr. Rogers? Yeah, but look at the people helping. Um, yeah. Yeah, that that's big, right? That's big. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. very Star Trek. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I think, yeah. one of the reasons we all, when we were little kids and weren't, didn't know yeah. anything about politics, like you said earlier. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> who knows that this, this is an allusion to Vietnam? I certainly didn't. Yeah. I was six. You know, it's that hopefulness that's, that, that, uh, hanging that teamness Agreed. and being in it together. And uh, I'm with you. If we can figure out how to do that. Yeah. And, and, but, and, and yeah, I think, uh, I, I, I think more people want good in this world than want bad. Uh, obviously food is the big, the big thing. When people are hungry, things go South and it's yeah, water. You know, it's, Food no. and water, yeah. I mean, you know, the life givers, yep, life, yep. Gi life yep. giving stuff. Uh, yep. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm not a cynic. Uh, I'm a very, very hopeful dude. Um, yeah, very hopeful dude. So Bye. there's this amazing scene with Shaw explaining the Dominion to Seven. You, you describe how the changelings require a pot to pour them yeah. themselves into at night. Yeah. And Seven asks, pot like cannabis? And then Shaw replies, uh, sadly, no. Does Captain <laughs> Shaw indulge Todd Stashwick? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a no. <laughs> Come on. Uh yeah, I mean, and, and Jerry was so yeah. like that scene was so fun to shoot because that was such a uh, like a Holmes and Watson scene. Like it yeah. was so like we were sleuthing. She's so great. <laughs> I, I, I just want to keep working with Jerry. I just love yeah. her. Yeah. Uh, but she was just so like it was like it was the it was the law and order scene. It was the procedural. Uh, we were in a procedural drama in that moment. It was like, bah, 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 what about this? Da, 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 da. And we were kind of sleuthing our way yeah. through. 
I just want to. <laughs> well, now Captain Shaw is my favorite captain. Absolutely. I'm not saying that because you're sitting here. I'm saying that because of your answer just now. And I can assure you, Captain Jellico does not have a bong in his ready no. room. So let's eliminate those comparisons now. No, that All is right. a false comparison. That's very funny. <laughs> All right. Well, this, uh, Todd, was amazing. Thank you for spending so much time with us. Thank you for becoming such an integral part of this phenomenal universe that is Star Trek and for adding so much to it. Look, we are only as good as the people we get to to work with. And I I was given such a gift to work with those amazing humans and the amazing writing by... Terry and, and and the writers. It's just like every once in a while you get one, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and you hopefully you do it, you do it justice. So I I, I really appreciate uh, your kind words. Thank you. Well, and thank just... you so much, Todd, and, and thank you for the riches. I, I, oh. I just got to tell you that is, it's one of those things. It's just such a bummer that timing didn't work out better for it. Yeah, I was the writers, the last writer strike, and yeah. they killed it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, by the way, uh, <laughs> two things, and then I'll get out of your hair. Um, two things. <laughs> um, we sh- the, the the bridge of the Titan was the same sound stage as the Malloy House. Uh, oh, wow. So where oh, I would drive so cool. to work, it was the same exact drive to work and the same walk into into work. Uh, and then a few weeks back, my phone rings. And it was a, a London exchange, and I'm, I, I thought I thought my friend Hannah was calling me, and it was it, and it was Eddie, who oh wow, she is a huge Star Trek fan, and she was like she was like, I'm watching this, and my friend Todd is doing this amazing <laughs> job, and I'm thinking I could just call him, and Eddie, <laughs> so great. Him. And he called me to just uh, to just gush about Star Trek, and I didn't know they were that big of a Star Trek fan. Wow. That's incredible. We're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. We Star Trek fans. <laughs> there was a band back in the '70s called Big Star that just suffered from horrible timing. It was an amazing band led by this guy Alex Chilton, an incredible uh, couple of albums, and they they just dropped at the wrong time, and it's such a pisser but you can still watch the riches on streaming i forget exactly it may be amazon prime i'm not sure exactly so i think it's on hulu. It was. hulu hulu okay yeah that's it that's exactly it and so yeah, if you want uh, if you, if you want back the greatest uh the greatest example of of unresolved uh <laughs> viewing <laughs> it's like freaks and geeks it literally yeah. ends on a cliffhanger Yes. Yes. Like, the neighbor Bye. discovers. Yeah. Right. Oh, it reminds me of this great story. We were watching. Yeah. I was when I was in college. I was watching Beauty and the Beast, and there's this moment where where the last petal like falls off the rose, and then he goes, "It's hopeless," and it goes to black. And this little kid in front of me goes, "Is it over, mommy?" <laughs> Childhood crushed. Could you imagine? Oh, God, yeah. It's hopeless. Yeah. Right. Hi, everybody. <laughs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. 
comfortable. Ah. Okay, as advertised, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, and we got we kind of got a scoop at the end, maybe from maybe. Captain Shaw himself about the pot on the <laughs> Titan A. Who knows whether, I mean, he kind of left it open-ended, but I, he didn't deny it, so. He didn't, know. and I can, one can only imagine that it's, it's, if you're into that sort of thing, it's very fun. <laughs> so, I, I don't think we can top that, although we're going to keep trying, um, yeah. because in two weeks' time, Mm-hmm. Who do we have? I still can't believe that this is happening. Uh, I'm going to keep, we're going to keep saying the same thing because everybody's amazing. So who yeah. is our next guest? And I'm glad I'm sitting down. Well, if you thought Todd Stashwick was a Renaissance man, oh my God, do we have another Renaissance man from the Star Trek universe. Tim Russ is going to join us. Uh, Tuvok from Voyager and Picard season three. And we have so many things to talk about with Tim Russ because he's a musician, he's an astronomer, obviously we know he's an actor, he's a listener of the Stephanie Miller show, which <laughs> is near and dear to my heart. And so, so many things to cover with uh, Tim. Uh, and not just about Voyager, I want to ask him about his part in Picard season three. Yeah. And there's something specific that he brought up with me in private that he wants to talk about with regard yep. to the allegory of mm-hmm. season three and the Borg and how uh, the Dominion and the Borg were able to infect uh, all of these young people. And so, and what that means, how we can interpret that with, you know, things that we're dealing with technologically right now. So lots of stuff to discuss yeah, with him. It's going to be amazing. Uh, that's two weeks. We're taking next week off because I think there's some holiday. Not sure. Yeah. But something's happening. Yeah. Everybody should take next week off. Take, yeah. Frontier take, Day. It's Frontier Day. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Frontier Day. <laughs> um, so uh, we will come back recharged, ready to go. And uh, I have no doubt it's going to be an amazing discussion with Tim Ross. Really looking forward to it. In the meantime, everybody have a great couple of weeks. and We will see you soon. 